Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hi, everybody. Producer Al here. It's time for another TSFP Presents re-release here on the Monday podcast feed. And this time uh, we talk about a club and an era that we have a lot of affection for. It's the severe side of the mid-2000s that did so well in Europe and came so, so close to winning La Liga as well. Remember, for lots more of this kind of thing, you can join us as a patron over at patreon.com forward slash TSFB. Hello and welcome to another edition of TSFP Presents Classic Teams. Today, we're talking about a pretty special team. And I have to say, I have to make a, a sort of a confession here. Everybody knows, I think most people who listen to the podcast know, I work for Real Madrid TV, you know, Vamos, Hala Madrid, etc. But the first team that really sort of captivated me and got me in love with Spanish football was Real Oviedo. Was Sevilla. And it was particularly the Sevilla side that we're going to talk about in this episode, the one from more or less 2005, 2006, 2007, maybe 2008 as well. I was living in Granada at the time. I did my year abroad, 2004, 2005. And at that time, Granada were in the Tercera Division. They weren't, they weren't it wasn't even Segunda Bia. They were basically playing in a park. Mm. Um, and I'm not insane like you so I wasn't interested <laughs> in going and watching them so I started sort of following uh, Sevilla and, and seeing how they were doing and going down to Sevilla I had some friends living there and it was great and it was a great team and obviously they went on to have really tremendous success over the next few years so it was a good time to be a, to be watching them um, we're going to talk about the 2005-2006 season and the 2006-2007 season because these particular seasons were monumental in Sevilla's history and I think that 2006-2007 season is probably the most successful, their best season yes. ever. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, 2005 was their centenary year. It was an important one. And they Although, well, they thought it was their centenary <laughs> yeah, and then they realised that it wasn't actually their centenary because they had actually been founded in yeah. 1890. Yeah. Well, part of this is this <laughs> kind of ongoing argument yes. between Sevilla and Recreativo yes. about, about the foundation <laughs> yeah. of Sevilla. Who's the yeah. oldest team? So it was yeah. sort of their sort of We're, we're going to say it was their centenary, although it's quite possibly it wasn't. Yes. Um, but they started with a new manager, Juan de Ramos. Mm. Um Tell us a little bit about Juan de. Juan de Ramos is, um, I really quite like him in a in a sort of dry sort of yes. way. He's um, he was a manager who'd been really been around, um, and 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 it was only really at Sevilla that there was, I mean there was always a sense that he'd been pretty good and he'd he'd been quite successful where wherever he'd been he'd been he'd been pretty good at Rio been pretty good at Espanol, there were, but there was it was kind of at Sevilla that it all sort of came together mm. but some of the things that he did particularly well 
which is the 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 insistence on on good physical condition, the 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 willingness to play four four two but very wide, and um, to really push the idea of wingers really fitted in. Um, he's a person who I don't think I think it would be fair to say that that he doesn't inspire a huge amount of warmth in the sense that he's not massively charismatic. No, but I think there is a sense that he's quite straight. Mm. I think there is a sense that he's he's fairly fair in his treatment of players and that he is fundamentally a footballman but I think he's a foot, I think he's become a footballman who's kind of disengaged with Spanish football to an extent because well you know it, as tends to happen you go to Real Madrid and then he sort of well it's done now mm. he came in didn't he at quite an interesting time because he followed Caparrós yeah. five years of, of Caparrós who had taken over after yeah. Spears relegation yes. in 2000 down to the Segunda and, and Caparrós had taken them from the Segunda up to up to, to European football. Yeah. So, so Juan de Ramos had something. There was something there to. to well, build you look on. at you look at the previous season. So they, they win the second division, and then their next four seasons in the first division are sixth, sixth, tenth, and eighth. So it's pretty good. So so you know this is a team that, that achieved, and I think both Sevilla and Betis, who went down at similar times, both had a broadly similar idea, which was born as necessity as much as anything else, which was mm. to start bringing through younger players. Mm. And Caparrós is really really important for this Sevilla team, and and I think it is certainly true that he lay a lot of the groundwork for Juan de Ramos. And, and in a way that some of the things that Juan de Ramos believed in, perhaps slightly less so than Caparrós, the aggression, the intensity, the the kind of insistence on on really, really. Caparrós wasn't aggressive and intense. No, no, Juan de Ramos was slightly less. So. Ah, I see. So he right. took on yes. what Caparrós had done, yes. and maybe softened it a, a, a fraction. But mm. Caparrós was was all about that. And for example, you know, the person who I think was the player of the Sevilla team and we'll come on to him properly in a minute Danny Alves Danny Alves, uh, Danny Alves tells incredible stories of the way that, that Caparros handled him and that Caparros handled him in a, in a kind of you know absolutely in his face sort mm. of way and yet at the same time right I'll look after you I'll make sure you're okay I'll make sure you're happy but at the same time so help me God you will do what I do and yet even Caparros <laughs> gave up on Danny Alves and, and gave up on saying to him Stop crossing the halfway line. Stop crossing the halfway line. And in the end, the the kind of the quality of Alves was sufficient that, that Caparo said, "Oh, okay, look, just run because you're good at this." A uh, friend of the podcast, Kay Murray, I remember when she was here and we were working together. She sort of referred to Joaquin Caparos as the manager most that you'd like to have as your dad in, in, in La Liga. Yeah, it would I, be tough love though. It wouldn't yeah. be. Yeah, maybe, I, I I wonder if there is there is that. There is perhaps... I wonder if it's because... Maybe it was as a woman, because I, she I was, was like, yeah, I was he'll look a, after you. I was just about to yeah, say yeah. that. He's the protective yeah, dad, yeah, yeah. isn't he? He's the dad that, he's the dad that, that you know, anyone messes with his daughter, yeah, yeah, he yeah. will absolutely have it. You know, he, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's yeah. taking that guy down. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Um, but there's something about, obviously, the Michael Keaton things we've been through. There's a million times looks so much like he Michael Keaton. Really he's so much quite like extraordinary. Yeah. There was some footage, and I admit that, you know, this doesn't maybe fit, because this was when he was at Athletic Bilbao, but it was still about him, where they actually wired him up to a heart monitor during a game. Mm. to see the, the incredible range of heart heart rate during the match and, and the, the extent to which he kind of almost completely lost control mm. and, and this this heart monitor and there's a moment where he's running up the touchline because of course he knows he's wired up and they've got the microphones on him as well and there's a moment where he says I'm going to break this bloody thing I'm going to break this bloody <laughs> thing and it's, it's just and he was but he was really really tough and he tapped into a tradition that Sevilla perhaps hadn't had for a while which was the defence at least has to be incredibly frightening and and I know actually it's not really <laughs> true of this team because this this team certainly in the first season isn't really about um, having Navarro and Pablo Alfaro because Alfaro is on, on the bench for a lot of it well, but certainly having Navarro is there and yeah. they, they become this, like, this kind of dirty partnership at centre back but having Navarro is already there and that's very much that kind of identity hmm. 
so they go from this sort of uh, intense um, Caparros mm. side to a slightly more nuanced um, team under yeah. Juan de Ramos. And but he had to deal with losing a couple of key players as well when Juan de Ramos started. So you had Julio Baptista yes. mm. that summer who had scored, I think, 38 league goals in the previous two seasons. He goes to Real Madrid. Mm. Sergio Ramos obviously goes to Real Madrid mm. as well, mm. who, was, who was young mm. but had been, had been a part of the team. And in a way, that sets up, the, that sets up the, the, the kind of this discussion perfectly because... Sevilla, while we're looking at these two years, which are the most successful years, in a way is defined by the way they ran the club. And obviously that brings us always round to Monchi. And, and mm. those two players, the departure of Baptiste and the departure of Sergio Ramos, and the fact that that should have been a massive problem for Sevilla, was in fact symbolic of their success and symbolic of one of the things that they did, which I don't think any other club has done so well, which is that they made a virtue of losing their best players. They normalised the process of sales, which means with very few exceptions, and actually Sergio Ramos is one of them, mm. players who depart are not hated for it. Mm. Players who depart are seen as you've played part of the role. We know that we can overcome this. Had they not overcome those two, then that would have been a problem. But they, I think it's difficult with hindsight to, to do justice to just how good Julio Baptista was and how important he appeared well, exactly, to be. Because later on he became, well, not, not like a joke, but he never had to, yeah. he never replicated the success he had in those two seasons. And in part because the, the, the mechanism of that team suited him so well. So it was quite direct playing off a forward. And then he was, I mean, you know, he was nicknamed the Beast, which, which possibly is a nickname that these days people would shy away from a little bit more. But he was, he would just tear through defences. Mm. And, and, and it was, it was power but intelligence with it timing in terms of the arrival and that that was a kind of the beginning of this is how Sevilla play they will keep going for you they'll be relentless they'll be very very that word we always use in Spanish use and we don't have an English vertical vertical Um, perhaps then uh, he was the focal point of that team but then the focal point of this team in attack Freddy Canute and this was part of it I remember writing about this and I remember writing about how the Canute option was was a curious one and didn't really fit and it was a curious one and didn't fit A because he was nothing like Baptista, who had been the spearhead of this team, mm. you know, bombing through and, as I say, really tearing through defences. Canute was all right. He's big and he's tall and he's strong, but he was all subtlety. Language. I've never, I have never seen yeah. a player as good on the chest as Freddie Canute. I think yes. he's the best chester of a ball I've yes. ever seen. I think we might have mentioned that in twenty first century. I think we might have done. Yeah. 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 And, and and so he he played in a, in a much more subtle way. And also his goal scoring record was actually pretty poor. Mm. And it comes to Sevilla, and he's. Brilliant. Mm. The style of football suited him better. The way that Sevilla played, that the way they built that team around him suited him better. And he played up front sometimes with Fabiano in the hole behind him. Mm. A lot of time with Luis. Sorry, Fabiano alongside him. A lot of time with, with Renato in the hole behind yes. him. Luis Fabiano. Was Saviola was still yeah. there. Yeah. As Saviola well. was still there in that first season. Mm. Saviola was really quite important. Obviously, by the second. Far less so. Mm. I mean, yeah, these are some of the names that, uh, that we've mentioned. Obviously, Jesus Navas mm-hmm. uh, enjoying some of his uh, his best years as well. In that 2005-2006 season, then, uh, they finish fifth in the league, but they win their first ever European trophy, you beating uh, Middlesbrough 4-0 mm. mm. in the final. Uh, what do you remember of that uh, final? And the also, final, I just remember them being incredibly I mean, superior. So much better. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot. Yeah. Just, just, yeah. just almost embarrassing. And, and of course... I mean, it was incredible that Middlesbrough got to yes, the European absolutely. final. Yes, absolutely. I mean, that's the thing. Yeah, you know, let's, not, let's not knock Middlesbrough. Although, of course, there was a sensation, and obviously I say this as someone who's writing for a British newspaper. That Were you there? No. No. The sensation that Middlesbrough were... You know, all right, it's Middlesbrough and it's amazing and all the rest of it, but Sevilla, you know, they're not one of Spain's big teams. Well, also, they could be beaten. It also wasn't a bad... I've got the Middlesbrough team here. It was Hasselbank and Viduka up front. Um, you had Rochenbach, Boateng, Morrison, Stuart Downing Rochenbach. in midfield. Wow. 
Frank Quadru at fullback, Gareth Southgate at <laughs> yeah. centre back for for Borough. Okay, when I say it like that, it doesn't sound like a great team, but what, there was some quality. Oh, in no, there. there was. Yeah, there was, and they, they they weren't they weren't a terrible team by any means. Admittedly, the really good Borough players, Ravanelli and so on, Janino, they're they're not there anymore. Um, but the, the, there was a good team. The other thing is, you go through that Sevilla team. So you got Alves, Navarro, Dragutinovic, Adriano. So mm-hmm. Adriano ends up at Barcelona, mm-hmm. of course. Alves ends up at Barcelona, of course. Mm-hmm. Pep Marti and Maresca in the middle. Although actually, a lot of time it was Maresca with with Renato because and Renato played a curious role a role of a player who you never really thought was really important mm. but then you actually looked at the decisive moments and he was involved in really quite a lot of them then of course Jesus Navas on one wing depending on how they played you know the, the other wing kind of would, would rotate through various options and then Canute and, and Luis Fabiano and Luis Fabiano is another player who his was record he'd been in Europe twice and failed both times and Sevilla rescued him and there was that sense of part of what Monchi did was not just find good players but then find find and create the environment in which those good players would, would succeed Talking about that UEFA Cup run one of the best moments and probably one of the best moments of this Sevilla side I was watching it on uh, on YouTube earlier on the semi-final against Schalke mm-hmm. extra time the Antonio Puerta goal if you yeah. haven't seen it go and look it up the cross comes in from the right hand side Puerta takes it first time from just inside the area outside of his left foot mm. and it curls into the far corner yeah. and the the commentary certainly on the clip that I was watching earlier on I mean Spanish radio and football commentary is always exciting yeah. mm. but the commentary of that goal it's pretty spine tingling yes. actually and especially obviously because it's yeah and that goal was seen as emotional at the time as you say but but mm. with with time it's kind of taken on a greater significance and, and Puerta you know Puerta and Adrián on the left hand side and there was a real sense that you know that Puerta is going to be a great player mm. And he really was going to be a great player, I think. And 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 the, the the symbolism and the obviously the sadness fundamentally, but the symbolism of, of of everything kind of that he represented was was really quite powerful. And that's a that's a really really big and and symbolic goal. As of course is the one that Palop scores himself. The the following season in the following the, season, in the season, got running yeah. against Shakhtar. Yeah. yeah. Um, moving on to that uh, season, then it starts with. Uh, Barcelona with um, Barcelona being beaten by Sevilla three nil in the European yeah. Super Cup. In yeah. the European Super Cup, and again talk about, I mean talk about great teams. That that Barca team. <laughs> if you look at the Barca team that started that game, that was full on Messi, yes. Eto, yeah. Ronaldinho, all yeah, the yeah. all the great yeah, players. Yeah, 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 this is not a nothing team. Three nil. Three nil. With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption and logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com insights. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry, only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one, with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands. All hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com.
Uh, they finished third in La Liga and they were five points behind the eventual winners, Real Madrid. And they I were think close. That, was, that was Sevilla's best ever points total in the Primera that season with 71 points. It's also one of the great tragedies of modern Spanish football that that Sevilla team didn't win the league. Mm. They were the best team in Spain that season. Mm. They also were, obviously, a team that won the Cup and the UEFA Cup mm. and they were trying to fight on three fronts and obviously it's easy to say with hindsight but perhaps if they hadn't gone so far in the Cup because they were genuinely limping towards the finish in that in that season they they drew away at Mallorca on the penultimate weekend and I actually made a note of this because I was I was really struck by it and I kind of looked for it and away at Mallorca they had a a moment where I think it was they had two players let me see if I can actually find what I wrote because here we go so Adriano went off after 10 minutes Navas got injured in the warm up Dragutinovic was sent off. Freddy Canute, and I remember that season so clearly, the last seven or eight weeks, Freddy Canute could barely walk anymore. I mean, this team really did limp to the finish line. They were the best team in Spain. I remember then going to the Bernabeu and, and Dani Alves having a miss really, really late on, or trying, trying to reach this, this chance really late on and unable to do so. And if he scores that and it goes in, that's it. They were league champions. At least that was the mentality we all mm. had. And yet, even with that, they get to this penultimate game of the season. You win away at Mallorca, mm. you're done. You're going to win the league. And they drew 0-0 against mm. a Mallorca team, who, by the way, had already beaten them that season as well. So, mm. you know, blame anyone, blame Mallorca. Mm. Um, and who I believe were then the team who went to Real Madrid on the final day and were 1-0 up at half-time and lost 3-1 for Real Madrid to win the title. Mm. To win the most ludicrous title ever, by the way. Well, How that, that Madrid yeah. team won that title is just incredible. Um, and very, you know, very exciting. And there's a real sense of epic about it. Loads of late goals in the last 10 weeks of the season. But that Sevilla team was brilliant and should have won the league. Mm. I was looking at your team of the season in La Liga that season, Sid, and there were four Sevilla players in the, in the 11. Can you I'm, remember which four they were? I'm guessing that Alves would have been there, obviously. 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 I'm guessing that Palop might have been. He was indeed. Um, and you're missing a defender and a midfielder. Well, if there's another defender, then it's probably Navarro. Yes. Mm. And the other one, a midfielder? Yeah. Mariska? No. Mariska was Paulson. in your team Paulson. the previous Christian season Paulson. and Paulson was in your team Christian the season. Paulson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, as you should have put them all in. As, as, as you mentioned, they did win the uh, the cup as well against yeah. uh, Getafe at the Bernabeu. Canute scoring. Canute scoring the winning Back goal. Back when the Copa del Rey final was occasionally played at the Bernabeu. Yes. And that was Getafe <laughs> had, had knocked out Barca in the semi finals in some crazy game where Getafe beat Barca 4 0 in the second leg, having lost 5 2 in the first leg. That, something isn't, like that. isn't that the game the, that Messi, Messi scores, scores that a ridiculous goal? goal. And then scores the goal in the, yeah. in the second leg. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I remember a severe supporting friend of mine telling me, you know, what a great day it was going to the Bernabeu. But he just he couldn't re- he couldn't remember anything. Just so drunk. I can't remember anything. It was that's great. What, what it um, so so they won that, and then they won the UEFA Cup as well to win three titles in one season, the mm. most successful season in their history, um, with, without doubt. Beating Espanyol on penalties in the final in Glasgow. Two, Do you guys goals. agree with me? Is it? I'm sure the Spurs fans don't care, but is it some, somehow dissatisfying in a European competition? When in both the semi-final and the final, you end up playing against a domestic rival because they played Osasuna in the semis yes, yeah. and they played Espanol. Doesn't matter when you win it's it. It's amazing to but think that it was Osasuna, yeah. by the way. It kind of, it's well, not what you want from also European Espanol, competition. Is it? Yeah. No, I think it, I think you're right. It's not what you want from European competition. And yet, if you ask Sevilla fans of all these years in Europe, they've probably quite enjoyed that late, late, late um, victory. It turned out to be a victory mm. with the NBA goal at Valencia. 
Uh, when was that? Two years ago or mm. three years ago? I can't remember now. Um, but yeah, I think it is a little bit. But, but it's, anyway. still, it's still the it's still the UEFA Cup, and the fact you know this but it became... was it was in Glasgow as well. Yes. It wasn't like it was in That's Spain. True. So they That's had a true. and a pretty great final. You know, yeah. one all after ninety minutes, two two after extra time, penalty shootout. Palop saves Palop being the star. three penalties. And again, <laughs> we, we mentioned the goal in the earlier round against Shakhtar, but go and watch that goal as well um, because mm. it was late on in the game. It was an equaliser. The celebrations are fantastic because the entire bench runs onto the pitch and mobs Which is the him way it there, should be. That's what celebrations are And yeah, to then like. as, as I say, crazy. to go on and, and save three penalties. And they're just, the just an the extraordinary, you know, as I say, just an extraordinary team. And, and the way that I actually think they kind of helped make the UEFA Cup feel important because they kind of took it on as their own. And obviously that's something that's not just about these two seasons, it's about what comes next and the three in a row with Unai Emery. And in particular, Unai Emery stressed this. I remember Unai Emery telling me, in, I went to interview him before, must have been before the final against Liverpool. And him saying that when he came to Sevilla, and he, you know, this is someone who always talks about the importance of every game, that there's a glory in every game, that there's a sense of enjoyment, that it doesn't matter if there's not an objective to play for, but everything matters. It doesn't matter if, um, you know, it's a lesser trophy like the Europa League. Every game has an importance because it's about the, the moment. But he said that even he, despite having that mentality, when he turned up at Sevilla, from Valencia talked about the significance of getting the Champions League and that was the target and all the rest of it and that Europa League well yeah I mean it's there and we'll do what we can and it was them saying no 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 mm-hmm. the Europa League we do this mm-hmm. we go for this we make this ours and three years in a row they did and that that is the legacy in a way of that 2005-06 season 2006-07 yes. season and this is a team that I, I saw the stat the other day I'm going to get this wrong now but I think it's 14 finals in 10 years they played in mm. if you add them all together I'm yeah, assuming Super Cups yes, as well. yeah, yeah. Talking about big moments from that 2006-2007 season, um, Sid, tell us about Juan de Ramos getting hit by a bottle yeah. and hospitalised against Betis. And, and, and the thing was that he wasn't just hit by a bottle, he was hit by a bottle of water that had been frozen. So, I mean, effectively been hit by a brick. Mm. I mean, you know, mm. a frozen bottle of water is a pretty bloody hard thing. And, mm. and there was a, a real sense after that of, right, we've got to stop this and this is terrible and all the rest of it. And, and, but there was also a kind of, this is an isolated incident mentality. Um, and it wasn't isolated at all at that point. Things were getting thrown all the time. Admittedly, most of it was largely harmless. You know, the paper aeroplanes, which I still don't still see a problem with. But people would roll up their sandwich tinfoil and throw them at people. I remember being at Raya and watching the odd lighter, kids, the, odd lighter mm. the occasional coin. I remember seeing kids throw chupa chups at people and that sort of stuff. And I think that was actually a moment that did change. Which we don't, we don't condone. No, and I, I think when you've eaten your bocata, do yeah. not throw your tinfoil exactly. at anybody. And I think that was a moment that kind of changed that mentality a little bit because there was a sense of, oh. Mm. this actually can really do some damage and not only that because fundamentally what was different about that was that the aim was true mm. you know that someone had good aim for once you know yeah. it's not that it hadn't happened well, before no, I mean, like you say you know a, f- a frozen bottle of water presumably that was premeditated right or was it I don't know it whether it was that it or they bought it frozen, frozen outside I don't, I don't know. know I don't know it, is, yeah. it is hot in Seville so. it is very <laughs> yes. hot in Seville it's amazing it hadn't melted yeah no absolutely but Juan de Ramos so, so Juan de Ramos was this curious manager who basically I remember, I remember writing about the secret recipe of, of, of this Seville team. It was quite literally a secret recipe. They were a team that used um, Dr. Escribano, who's a famous, uh, what do you call it, endocrinologist in, in Seville. I've met him. He's a, he's a, I met him. I had dinner with him once. And he spent the whole dinner telling me not to eat that and not to eat the other. And I was thinking, Christ alive, if I was a footballer. Right? <laughs> yeah. And then he starts eating... It's a kidney specialist, he starts by the way, eating, for the non he starts eating, um, He starts eating almonds. And he was going on and on and on and on about almonds. Uh, and, and I was thinking, do you own a, like, a factory of these things or what? Factory obviously not being the right word because they don't get fabricated, but you know what I mean. And, and you know, a kind of a processing plant for these things. Um, but he, he, they came up with these kind of half-time shakes, which were kind of... Mm, Almond shakes? No, no, no. They're actually vegetables and stuff okay. and tailored to each individual player and they made quite a big thing about it. Now, that wasn't the only thing, but what I did do is it 
it played into this idea that this was a team possibly before this current era now mm. where you watch footballers now and they're really stripped down. Mm. This was a team that was really stripped down, that was very agile, very fast, very direct, that played effectively with two wingers on both sides because both fullbacks went and both wingers went in very, very straight lines mm. apart from Alves who would kind of Alves bingo, ding, number two, who would kind of come across the pitch diagonally and play one-twos one with people and stuff. And they were they were a team that, that, that you know, other sides couldn't deal with, mm. which I suppose is part of the reason why they didn't win the league because they were starting to run on empty. You know, they were, and, 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 you know, for another team, it might not have mattered. For a team that could rely on one moment of class or quality, mm. it maybe didn't matter. This was a team that relied partly on, on, that that, on being relentless. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Juan de Ramos, of course... A, a, brief reign in charge in a way a couple of years yeah, went yes. off to Spurs in, in October 2007 we all know that didn't go terribly well no one of the first things he did at Spurs was change the diet because he was like wow how on earth can they yeah. can they, can no, they ketchup. Eat? Yeah, yeah. no ketchup and, uh, remember his, his great phrase he said we walked in was like who got married because yeah. this looks like a wedding buffer yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 you know, him, and, him and Marcus Halverdeth who was his uh, fitness coach they go what the hell's this? Um, and they, that I remember he got caught out with a guy called John Alexander, I believe, who was a secretary at Spurs in the Alfonso Trece Hotel in Seville. Lovely hotel, and they they mm. denied it. <laughs> they denied it, and they said this wasn't happening. And that summer he didn't go. That that it was because it was during the summer and he mm. didn't go. Mm. And he ended up going about six weeks later. Yeah, he went in October. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, and that, and that wasn't the end. But it was the end of this particular. Yeah, it was a sort of slight lull. But I mean, because this is Manolo the Jimenez but the, took over. But the under, exactly, Manolo Jimenez was very different, and and you know it come it goes through a kind of a couple of shifts and changes. It was sort of back to the Caparrós style. Yeah, yeah. Manolo Jimenez, while well, the famous chant was Jimenez, Jimenez, que jone, que jone yeah. Jimenez, Jimenez, what bollocks you have? Mm. Uh, and he was very. I mean, he was a little bit. Uh, basic, shall mm. we say, a bit, a bit, bit, bit primitive in some of some of his approach. But he's won done the, very well, uh, by the way. Won in the Greece. Greek, uh, yeah. Greek championship Absolutely. last season with Ajax. Absolutely, yes. and, and then yeah. left and got to Las Palmas and got sacked. But yeah, yes, that is true. But, but you know, they so they went they went for a few shifts. But the underlying thing that we were talking about before mm. is that 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 process of of identifying, buying, and mm providing an environment for players really worked. They went off the rails a little bit in terms of the success of their signings mm. when for the first time they had money and they started spending that money and it sort of didn't work. <laughs> you know, Didier Zakora, uh, um, the striker they bought who turned out to be an absolute disaster, they bought him off Levanta whose name now escapes me. Ah, he wore his socks quite low. Ah, I've forgotten his name. Crap. Uh, and and yes, yeah, so Chev Anton, who was by the way in this team, it didn't quite work. Oh, with yes. him, but I yeah, remember yeah, scoring yeah. an amazing overhead kick, I think, against Real Madrid, the Uruguayan. And they they sort of went through this spell that it wasn't quite working, but they're still fundamentally bringing good players through. And it's still just the the idea of Sevilla being one of the best six or seven teams in Spain. Mm until this last decade, was mm -hmm. a bit bonkers. I mean, this is a team that hadn't won the league, had only won the league once, and that was back in 1946, had yeah. not won any trophies at all since the, I was going to say Copa del Rey, of course it was Copa del Generalissimo, in 48. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this is a team with a huge, huge 50-year period, of nearly 50-year period of winning nothing, mm -hmm. that then goes and starts winning loads. Well, that's the thing, yeah. Had Nine historically had quite a lot of ups and downs, but now we think mm -hmm. of Sevilla... And really, it was this Sevilla that, mm. that established them again this, as yeah. being, like you say, sort of maybe the fifth or fourth or fifth or sixth, yeah. you know, best. And, and that sense of continuity, to say, because underpinning all of this is Monchi, and underpinning all of this is the success of, of you know, you look at look at some of the players like 
Alves and Fazio and Adriano and Baptista and Rakitic and Poulsen and Fabiano and Carlos Baca and even Keita. and and Keita. These are mm. all players he signed mm. and sold. I, I remember working out a team with him, sitting through a team going, right, let's do your kind of perfect 11. A team that had cost him less than 20 million euros to buy and earned him almost 190 million euros in sales. Mm. Yeah. And you know, and that's plus then the youth teams ago, like Sergio Ramos mm. and, and like Jesus Navas and yeah. Diego Capel. Even I mean, yeah. we forget about Capel, yeah. but for a while, Capel was a really good player. And so, you know, there was an there was a shift at institutional level which underpinned all of this as well. So that is Sevilla classic team, two thousand and five to two thousand and seven. It was a side that underpinned future success as well because we could have talked about the three consecutive Europa Leagues under uh, Unai Emery and uh, um, uh, Super Cups as well that they, that they won subsequently but um, but anyway we condensed it into this yeah and it's a, different, it's a slightly different type yes. of team but some of the things that I mean one game in a way that always kind of almost brought everyone to see Sevilla was that time when uh, early in David Beckham's time at Real Madrid went to the Sancho P1 and got absolutely torn to bits and everyone, not for the I mean not for the last time yes because Real Madrid consistently get torn that's another, that's that's another kind of, if you like, another legacy they've left. This yeah. idea that, right, you go for Madrid. Mm. You don't stand there and say, oh, they're quite good. You go for them. Yeah, and Barcelona. And Barcelona as well. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Right, we'll leave it there. Thank you very much for listening to TSFP Presents Classic Teams. Have we got one more? We left? might do one more. We, we like, to, one we more like to do a nice, neat little series of eight, and we've okay. done seven. So we'll, right. we'll decide on one more. Yet we have to, to be decide decided. on which team it is. Mm. Yes. We're, we're open to suggestions as well, so we'll keep the suggestions mm. coming. We have done quite a broad spectrum of classic teams, but we are open to suggestions for our final one so let us know see ya cheerio bye